Welcome to Flourish. I'm Diane Planeton, and you're in the right place if you're ready to create an inspired life. And we do so by working on our own personal development so we can be strong role models for those we love and mentor. Today, we are on chapter 61 in my Psych 100 journey at Queen's University. And thank you for joining me during this time. I'm really enjoying the feedback I'm getting from people. So let's get started. This chapter is still part of week 11, part 2, personality traits. Personality traits reflect people's characteristic patterns of thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Personality traits imply consistency and stability. Someone who scores high on a specific trait like extroversion is expected to be sociable in different situations and over time. Thus, trait psychology rests on the idea that people differ from one another in terms of where they stand on a set of basic trait dimensions that persists over time and across situations. The most widely used system of traits is called the five-factor model. This system includes five broad traits that can be remembered with the acronym OCEAN. Openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. Each of the major traits from the big five can be divided into facets to give a more fine-grained analysis of someone's personality. In addition, some trait theorists argue that there are other traits that cannot be completely captured by the five-factor model. Critics of the trait concept argue that people do not act consistently from one situation to the next, and that people are very influenced by situational forces. Thus, one major debate in the field concerns the relative power of people's traits versus the situations in which they find themselves as predictors of their behavior. The learning objectives to keep in the back of your mind as you read along or are listening to this on the podcast are as follows. List and describe the big five, ocean, personality traits that comprise the five-factor model of personality. Describe how the facet approach extends broad personality traits. Explain a critique of the personality trait concept. Describe in what ways personality traits may be manifested in everyday behavior. Describe each of the big five personality traits and the low and high end of the dimension. Give examples of each of the big five personality traits, including both a low and a high example. Describe how traits and social learning combine to predict your social activities. And describe your theory of how personality traits get refined by social learning. As mentioned before, I'm a student, not a teacher, and just sharing my fantastic journey with the universe. This is open courseware, by the way, that is available to anybody who has internet access. All right, let's get going. Introduction. (laughs) When we observe people around us, one of the first things that strikes us is how different people are from one another. Some people are very talkative, while others are very quiet. Some are active, whereas others are couch potatoes. Some worry a lot. Others almost never seem anxious. Each time we use one of these words, words like talkative, quiet, active, or anxious, to describe those around us, we are talking about a person's personality, the characteristic ways that people differ from one another. Personality psychologists try to describe and understand 
these differences. Although there are many ways to think about the personalities that people have, Gordon Allport and other personologists claimed that we can best understand the differences between individuals by understanding their personality traits. Personality traits reflect basic dimensions on which people differ. According to trait psychologists, there are a limited number of these dimensions, dimensions like extroversion, conscientiousness, or agreeableness, and each individual falls somewhere on each dimension, meaning that they could be low, medium, or high on any specific trait. An important feature of personality traits is that they reflect continuous distributions rather than distinct personality types. This means that when personality psychologists talk about introverts and extroverts, they are not really talking about two distinct types of people who are completely and quantitatively different from one another. Instead, they are talking about people who score relatively low or relatively high along a continuous distribution. In fact, when personality psychologists measure traits like extroversion, they typically find that most people score somewhere in the middle, with smaller numbers showing more extreme levels. They have a figure below here that shows the distribution of extroversion scores from a survey of thousands of people. And if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see most people report being moderately but not extremely extroverted with fewer people reporting very high or very low scores. This chart is literally looks like a pyramid and just give you a visual. There are three criteria that are characterized personality traits. One, consistency. Two, stability. And three, individual differences. One, to have a personality trait Individuals must be somewhat consistent across situations in their behaviors related to the trait. For example, if they are talkative at home, they tend also to be talkative at work. Two, individuals with a trait are also somewhat stable over time in behaviors related to the trait. If they are talkative, for example, at age 30, they will also tend to be talkative at age 40. And three, People differ from one another on behaviors related to the trait. Using speech is not a personality trait, and neither is walking on two feet. Virtually all individuals do these activities, and there are almost no individual differences. But people differ on how frequently they talk and how active they are, and thus personality traits such as talkativeness and activity level do exist. The challenge of the trait approach was to discover the major traits on which all people differ. Scientists for many decades generated hundreds of new traits so that it was soon difficult to keep track and make sense of them. For instance, one psychologist might focus on individual differences in friendliness, whereas another might focus on the highly related concept of sociability. Scientists began seeking ways to reduce the number of traits in some systematic way and to discover the basic traits that describe most of the differences between people. The way that Gordon Allport and his colleague Henry Oddbert approached this was to search the dictionary for all descriptors of personality. That was in 1936. Their approach was guided by lexical hypotheses which states that all important personality characteristics should be reflected in the language that we use to describe other people. 
Therefore, if we want to understand the fundamental ways in which people differ from one another, we can turn to the words that people use to describe one another. So if we want to know what words people use to describe one another, where should we look? Alcourt and Oddbird looked in the most obvious place, the dictionary. Specifically, they took all the personality descriptors that they could find in the dictionary. They started with almost 18,000 words, but quickly reduced the last to more manageable number. And then used statistical techniques to determine which words went together. In other words, if everyone who said that they were friendly also said they were sociable, then this might mean that personality psychologists would only need a single trait to capture individual differences in these characteristics. Statistical techniques were used to determine whether a small number of dimensions might underlie all of the thousands of words we use to describe people. The five-factor model of personality. Research that used the lexical approach showed that many of the personality descriptors found in the dictionary do indeed overlap. In other words, many of the words that we use to describe people are synonyms. Thus, if we want to know what a person is like, we do not necessarily need to ask how sociable they are, how friendly they are, and how gregarious they are. Instead, because sociable people tend to be friendly and gregarious, we can summarize this personality dimension with a single term. Someone who is sociable, friendly, and gregarious would typically be described as an extrovert. Once we know she is an extrovert, we can assume that she is sociable, friendly, and gregarious. Statistical methods, specifically a technique called factor analysis, help to determine whether a small number of dimensions underlying the diversity of words that people like Allport and Oddbert identified. The most widely accepted system to emerge from this approach was the Big Five, or the five-factor model. The Big Five comprise five major traits, and they have a figure two here below. A way to remember these five is with the acronym OCEAN. O is for openness, C is for conscientiousness, E is for extroversion, A is agreeableness, and N is for neuroticism. Here we go. So, the definitions of the big five. Openness. The tendency to appreciate new art, ideas, values, feelings, and behaviors. Conscientiousness. The tendency to be careful, on time for appointments, to follow rules, and to be hard-working. Extroversion. The tendency to be talkative, sociable, and to enjoy others. The tendency to have a dominant style. Agreeableness. The tendency to agree and go along with others rather than to assert one's own opinions and choices. And neuroticism, the tendency to frequently experience negative emotions such as anger, worry, and sadness, as well as being interpersonally sensitive. Then they have another chart here with the big five traits. And under each, it has an example behavior for low scores and example behavior for high scores. So a low score for openness would be a person who prefers not to be exposed to alternative moral systems, narrow interests, inartistic, not analytical, down to earth. And a high score, for an example, would be a person in openness, enjoys seeing people with new types of haircuts and body piercings, curious, imaginative, untraditional. 
The conscientious person with a low score prefers spur-of-the-moment action to planning, unreliable, hedonistic, careless, lax. And a high score would be never late for a date, organized, hardworking, neat, persevering, punctual, and self-disciplined. So you can see the different spectrums, right? Extroversion, a low score. Prefer a quiet evening reading to a loud party, sober, aloof, unenthusiastic. And if you are a high-scoring extrovert, being the life of the party, active, optimistic, fun-loving, and affectionate. An example for a low score in agreeableness would be quickly and confidently asserts own rights, irritable, manipulative, uncooperative, rude. And a high score for agreeableness agrees with others about political opinions, good-natured, forgiving, gullible, helpful. Did I mention forgiving? They have it twice. (laughs) And neuroticism, low score, not getting irritated by small annoyances, calm, unemotional, hearty secure, self-satisfied. So then you're not neurotic, right? And a high score would be constantly worrying about little things, insecure, hypochondriacal, feeling inadequate. Hypochondriacals, like uh, you're always worried you're being sick. All right, moving on. Scores on the big five traits are mostly independent. That means a person standing on one trait level tells very little about their standing on the other trait levels of the big five. For example, a person can be extremely high in extroversion and be either high or low on neuroticism. Similarly, a person can be low in agreeableness and be either high or low in conscientiousness. Thus, in the five factor model, you need five scores to describe most of the individual's personality. And they have a link here to take a test to see where you stand in terms of your big five scores. So I will include that link in the show notes. And then you can judge for yourself whether you think such tests are valid. All right, moving on. Traits are important and interesting because they describe stable patterns of behavior that persist for long periods of time. Importantly, these stable patterns can have broad-ranging consequences for many areas of our life. For instance, think about the factors that determine success in college. If you were asked to guess what factors predict good grades in college, you might guess something like intelligence. This guess would be correct, but we know much more about who is likely to do well. Specifically, personality researchers have also found the personality traits like conscientiousness play an important role in college and beyond, probably because high conscientious individuals study hard, get their work done on time, and are less distracted by non-essential activities that take time away from schoolwork. In addition, highly conscientious people are often healthier than people low in conscientiousness because they're more likely to maintain healthy diets, to exercise, and to follow basic safety procedures like wearing seatbelts or bicycle helmets. Over the long term, this consistent pattern of behavior can add up to meaningful differences in health and longevity. Thus, personality traits are not just a useful way to describe people you know. They actually help psychologists predict how good a worker someone will be, how long he or she will live, and the types of jobs and activities the person will enjoy. Thus, there is a growing interest in personality psychology among psychologists who work in applied settings such as health psychology or organizational psychology. 
facets of traits, subtraits. So, how does it feel to be told that your entire personality can be summarized with scores on just five personality traits? Do you think these five scores capture the complexity of your own and others' characteristic patterns of thoughts, feelings, and behaviors? Most people would probably say no, pointing to some exception in their behavior that goes against the general pattern that others might see. For instance, you may know people who are warm and friendly and find it easy to talk with strangers at a party, yet are terrified if they have to perform in front of others to speak to large groups of people. The fact that there are different ways of being extroverted or conscientious shows that there is value in considering lower-level units of personality that are more specific than the big five traits. These more specific lower-level units of personality are often called facets. To give you a sense of what these narrow units are like, we have another figure here that shows facets for each of the five big traits. It is important to note, although personality researchers generally agree about the value of the big five traits as a way to summarize one's personality, there is no widely accepted list of facets that should be studied. The list seen here, based on the work by researchers Paul Costa and Jeff McRae, thus reflects just one possible list among many. It should, however, give you an idea of some of the facets making up each of the five model factor. So in this uh, trait, it has under openness, the facets, fantasy prone, open to feelings, open to diverse behaviors, open to new and different ideas, open to various values and beliefs. Trait of consciousness, facets. Competent, orderly, dutiful, achievement-oriented, self-discipline, deliberate. Trait, extroversion, gregarious, which is sociable, warm, assertive, active, excitement-seeking, positive emotionality. Trait, agreeableness, trusting, straightforward, altruistic, compliant, modest, tender-minded. And neuroticism trait. Facet, anxious, angry, depressed, self-consciousness, impulsive, vulnerable. And that's interesting. Facets can be useful because they provide more specific descriptions of what a person is like. For instance, if we take our friend who loves party but hates public speaking, we might say that this person scores high on the gregariousness and warmth facets of extroversion while scoring lower on facets such as assertiveness or excitement-seeking. This precise profile of facet scores not only provides a better description, it might also allow us to better predict how this friend will do in a variety of different jobs. For example, jobs that require public speaking versus jobs that involve one-on-one -on -one interactions with customers. Because different facets within a broad global trait like extroversion tend to go together, those who are gregarious are often but not always assertive. The broad trait often provides a useful summary of what a person is like. But when we really want to know a person, facet scores add to our knowledge in important ways. Other traits beyond the five-factor model. Despite the popularity of the five-factor model, it is certainly not the only model that exists. 
Some suggest that there are more than five major traits or perhaps even fewer. For example, in one of the first comprehensive models to be proposed, Hans Eisenick suggested that extroversion and neuroticism are most important. Eisenick believed that by combining people's standings on these two major traits, we could account for many of the differences in personality that we see in people. So, for instance, a neurotic introvert would be shy and nervous, while a stable introvert might avoid social situations and prefer solitary activities. But he may do so with a calm, steady attitude and little anxiety or emotion. Interestingly, Eisenach attempted to link these two major dimensions to underlying differences in people's biology. For instance, he suggested that introverts experienced too much sensory stimulation and arousal, which made them want to seek out quiet settings and less stimulating environments. More recently, Jeffrey Gray suggested that these two broad traits are related to fundamental reward and avoidance systems in the brain. Extroverts might be motivated to seek reward and thus exhibit assertiveness, reward-seeking behavior, whereas people high in neuroticism might be motivated to avoid punishment and thus may experience anxiety as a result of their heightened awareness of the threats in the world around them. This model has since been updated. These early theories have led to a burgeoning interest in identifying the physiological underpinnings of the individual differences that we observe. Another revision of the Big Five is the hexical model of traits. This model is similar to the Big Five, but it possesses slightly different versions of some of the traits, and its proponents argue that one important class of individual differences was omitted from the five-factor model. The hexaco adds honesty, humility as a sixth dimension of personality. People high in this trait are sincere, fair, and modest, whereas those low in the trait are manipulative, narcissistic, and self-centered. Thus, trait theorists are agreed that personality traits are important in understanding behavior, but there are still debates on the exact number and composition of the traits that are most important. There are other important traits that are not included in the comprehensive models, like the Big Five. Although the five factors capture much that is important about personality, researchers have suggested other traits that capture interesting aspects of our behavior. They have a figure five here now that presents just a few out of hundreds of other traits that have been studied by personalologists. <laughs> I like that word. <laughs> Machiavellianism, Named after the famous political philosopher Niccolo Machiavelli, this trait refers to individuals who manipulate the behavior of others, often through duplicity. Machiavellians are often interested in money and power and pragmatically use others in this quest. Need for achievement personality trait. Those high in need for achievement want to accomplish a lot and set high standards of excellence for themselves. They are able to work persistently and hard for distant goals. David McClelland argued that economic growth depends in part on citizens with high need for achievement. Need for cognition. 
People I in need for cognition find it rewarding to understand things and are willing to use considerable cognitive efforts in this quest. Such individuals enjoy learning and the process of trying to understand new things. Authoritarianism. Authoritarians believe in strict social hierarchies in which they are totally obedient to those above them and expect complete obedience from their subordinates. Rigid in adherence to rules, the authoritarian personality is very uncomfortable with uncertainty. Next is narcissism. The narcissistic personality has self-love that is so strong that it results in high levels of vanity, conceit, and selfishness. The narcissistic individual often has problems feeling empathetic towards others and grateful to others. Next is self-esteem. The tendency to evaluate oneself positively. Self-esteem does not imply that one believes that he or she is better than others, only that he or she is a person of worth. The next personality trait is optimism. The tendency to expect positive outcomes in the future. People who are optimistic expect good things to happen, and indeed they often have more positive outcomes, perhaps because they work harder to achieve them. And the last one is alexithymia, the inability to recognize and label emotions in oneself. The individual also has a difficult time recognizing emotions in others and often has difficulties in relationships. So those were the other traits beyond those included in the big five. Not all of the above traits are currently popular with scientists, yet each of them has experienced popularity in the past. Although the five-factor model has been the target of more rigorous research than some of the traits above, these additional personality characteristics give a good idea of the wide range of behaviors and attitudes that traits can cover. The person-situation debate and alternatives to the trait perspective. The ideas described in this module should probably seem familiar, if not obvious to you. When asked to think about our friends, enemies, family members, and colleagues are like, some of the first things that come to mind are their personality characteristics. We might think about how warm and helpful our first teacher was, how irresponsible and careless our brother is, or how demanding and insulting our first boss was. Each of these descriptors reflects a personality trait, and most of us generally think that the descriptions that we use for individuals accurately reflect their characteristic pattern of thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, or in other words, their personality. But what if this idea were wrong? What if our belief in personality traits were an illusion and people are not consistent from one situation to the next? This was a possibility that shook the foundation of personal psychology in the late 60s when Walter Mischel published a book called Personality and Assessment. In this book, Mischel suggested that if one looks closely at people's behavior across many different situations, the consistency is really not that impressive. In other words, children who cheat on tests at school may steadfastly follow all rules when playing games and may never tell a lie to their parents. In other words, he suggested there may not be any general trait of honesty that links these seemingly related behaviors. 
Furthermore, Mitchell suggested that observers may believe that broad personality traits like honesty exist when, in fact, this belief is an illusion. The debate that followed the publication of Mitchell's books was called the person-situation debate because it pitted the power of personality against the power of situational factors as determinants of the behavior that people exhibit. Because of the findings that Mitchell emphasized, many psychologists focused on an alternative to the trait perspective. Instead of studying broad, context-free descriptions, like the trait terms we've described so far, Mitchell thought that psychologists should focus on people's distinctive reactions to specific situations. For instance, although there may not be a broad and general trait of honesty, some children may be especially likely to cheat on a test when the risk of being caught is low and the rewards for cheating are high. Others might be motivated by the same sense of risk involved in cheating and may do so even when the rewards are not very high. Thus, the behavior itself results from the child's unique evaluation of the risks and rewards present at that moment, along with her evaluation of her abilities and values. Because of this, the same child might act very differently in different situations. Thus, Michel thought that specific behaviors were driven by the interaction between very specific, psychologically meaningful features of the situation in which people found themselves, the person's unique way of perceiving that situation, and his or her abilities for dealing with it. Michel and others argued that it was these social cognitive processes that underlie people's reactions to specific situations that provide some consistency when situational features are the same. If so, then studying these broad traits might be more fruitful than cataloging and measuring narrow context-free traits like extroversion or neuroticism. In the years after the publication of Mitchell's 1968 book, debates raged about whether personality truly exists, and if so, how it should be studied. And, as is often the case, it turns out that a more moderate middle ground than what the situationists proposed could be reached. It is certainly true, as Mitchell pointed out, that a person's behavior in one specific situation is not a good guide to how that person will behave in a very different specific situation. Someone who is extremely talkative at one specific party may sometimes be reticent to speak up during class and may even act like a wallflower at a different party. But this does not mean that personalities does not exist, nor does it mean that people's behavior is completely determined by situational factors. Indeed, research conducted after the person-situation debate shows that, on average, the effect of the situation is about as large as that of personality traits. However, it is also true that if psychologists assesses a broad range of behaviors across many different situations, there are general tendencies that emerge. Personality traits give an indication about how people will act on average, but frequently they are not so good at predicting how a person will act in a specific situation at a certain moment in time. Thus, to best capture broad traits, one must assess aggregate behaviors averaged over time and across many different types of situations.
most modern personality researchers agree that there is a place for broad personality traits and for the narrower units, such as those studied by Walter Mitchell. Well, I guess we're not as completely predictable as one might think. So next time you meet someone, you think, wow, they're really outgoing. Maybe it depends on the situation, right? I don't know. I'm still learning. Well, if you like the show, share it with somebody you know. And hey, give me some comments. Give me some feedback. Give me a thumbs up. And uh, maybe if you're feeling extra, extra generous, hit that subscribe button. Because we all deserve to learn and grow and thrive and succeed and do our very best. And this is what this show is all about. Because we all also deserve to live an inspired life.